to season two episode four of the bolt from the blue podcast manchester city three yokohama f marinos one that was at the nissan stadium in japan Sixty-five thousand people in attendance this was man city's fourth and final friendly of their tour of china hong kong and japan Now, reports that this was City's first time in Japan are not accurate. The club actually toured Japan first in the 1970s, according to Gary James, and they toured then again around 92-93, and that has been confirmed by David White and people like Addy Mike. According to Simon Bakowski of the Manchester Evening News, there was quite a line-up to get into the stadium, even two hours before kick-off, so this suggested that it was going to be the most watched game of City's pre season tour as it turned out to be and uh, it was always going to be City's hardest game guys because it is of course Japan and South Korea who are the strongest leagues in the Asian Champions League not Hong Kong and China Japan and South Korea have uh, won this thing a combined 18 times so Yokohama were expected to work City hard they're in the middle of the season they lie second in the J League they're managed by Posta Koglu who was the coach of Australia at the 2014 World Cup. It was a great atmosphere in the stadium by all accounts. We had the lots of banners and posters from the City faithful, including the No Vinny, No, Don't Shoot uh, <laughs> banner, which was based on Don Grant's uh, creation. Uh, this time, you didn't need the Man City for TV app to see the game, because it was uh, available on quite a few streams. VAR was actually in play for this game. Turns out it wasn't needed, but the pitch, as has been quite common on the tour, did begin to cut up and make it uh, difficult for City in this game but we're not going to be like clock guys we're not going to complain about how the ball was rolling we are going to start off by welcoming our two guests first of all Ray from Man City Fan Chat Ray how are you? I'm very well Mike uh, and weekend's almost over uh, it's been a good weekend down in London and i um, looking forward to more fun during the week fantastic and we also have King of the Kipax writer and also City Matters Committee member Colin Savage, or as they would say in Paris, Colin Sauvage. How are you, Colin? I'm good, actually. Um, went to uh, there was a charity game at Radcliffe Borough 
involving some old city players against the um, the local team and I went to that today very enjoyable Peter Barnes trying to think who was there um, Colin Hendry John Macken I think one of the Brightwells Michael Brown and Paul Dickoff were supposed to be there but they weren't there I certainly didn't see them um, but yeah it was a very entertaining very entertaining afternoon and raised some money for charity and bumped into Sam Lee had a good chat with him mm-hmm. and um, yeah it was good fun did we win? Uh, no one seems to be very sure actually <laughs> I think it was 5-3 to Radcliffe Borough <laughs> OK guys well we're here to talk about this game Man City 3 Yokohama F Marinos 1 now the opening question I've got I'll throw this to Ray to start off with let's talk about the quality of Yokohama how good were Yokohama Ray? Well, they were obviously the best best uh, team on the tour that actually give us a proper game. And Pep had said uh, beforehand, this was going to be a perfect test. On my streams that I did before the game started, I said that, uh, as much. It was going to be a, a, a better game than Kitchi for sure. Um, Yokohama Mariners, they had, you know, they had some better, obviously better players, w- uh, much better set up. They actually took the game to us. They played a high line. Uh, goalkeeper uh, saved them on many occasions, uh, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Yeah, they were a very good opposition, good possession, lots of attacks, lots of opportunities to score, and I'm surprised they only scored one goal. Yeah, I'm going to throw that over to Colin. Colin, did you like the look of Yokohama? Do you think the city holistic influence has affected them? Uh, Yeah, um, they were very similar to us. They pressed high, they moved the ball on the ground, they moved it quickly, Um, they used the spaces very well. There was a few times that they managed to get an overload against us in a good position. I assume that we We've had no influence on that. Oh, we're, obviously, we're only a minority owner in Yokohama anyway, but I assume we've had no influence on the coaching. But I was watching the game and thinking, you could foresee a, a future for Pep as being the global technical director and getting all the teams, all levels, including youth levels, to play the same way, couldn't you? Absolutely. Uh, guys, uh, here's another question we have to start off with. It's difficult to say, usually it's a difficult, difficult question to ask Ray, but um, uh, after the game, did... Uh, certain performances stand out to you a lot of pe- people have been talking about KDB a lot of people have been talking about Claudio Bravo um, yeah. how, how did you see it? Yeah I mean if, let's look at the positive first let's always start with the positive uh, KDB um, I, I, in my uh, report for his t- uh, tournament and for the game oh sorry for the for the tour and the game my one word was imperious. He was fabulous. Um, and he's showing us, you know, and I'm just hoping, uh, you know, got me rabbit's foot and uh, you know, crossing my fingers and toes and everything else, touching wood, that he stays fit this season because I think, it, you know, he's he wants to make up for lost time. He basically missed the whole of last season. Um, and he just, you know, my, my fingers are crossed, as I said, that he puts in that level of performance all the way through the season, stays fit. And as Pepper said, he'll take us to another level. So um, I'm excited about what he's going to get give us next season I'm delighted about what he achieved this season Sterling for me another good uh, performer and Bravo he did what he's not he's not done before really bravissimo uh, yeah bravissimo he's been saving balls he's been saving shots I made um, I think at least three Pretty good saves uh, that I can remember. You know, he punched a few balls out. I think he punched one of their players in the head on a corner once. Um, but he was no longer a hologram. 
but I think he he showed us what a good number two keeper he will be this season. Uh, Colin, so is it is it basically incumbent upon us now to to basically cut off the hair from David Silva's head and stick it on Bravo's chin? Is that our solution to get the best out of those two players from now on? <laughs> Seems to be what they've done, doesn't it? I, I remember seeing a picture of the squad, and I was trying to work out who the guy with the beard was. He looked a bit familiar, and of course I realised it was Claudio Bravo, and uh, certainly David Silva played a lot better. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic when he had no hair. So um, I, I think Pep should be, you know, they should be holding him down in a chair. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you see Brideshead Revisited, one of my favourite books. And in the um, there's a scene in that where the uh, the old colonel of the regiment, who's a bit old fashioned, he forces one of the younger officers who's got whose hair's a bit um, more fashionable. Um, he forces him to have a haircut. So um, uh, perhaps we should do the same with Debbie Silver. Absolutely. Well, Carl Walker. Um, I was going to say Cal Walker's gone uh, gone Koljak on us and I, I actually don't think it's done him any good because uh, <laughs> uh, you know let's talk a little bit about the negative I don't think he was great in this game um, I think he struggled my personal opinion is he looks a tad overweight uh, I might be doing him a disservice it just might be the screen I was watching it on um, but I think he looks uh, he's carrying a few too many pounds and when he was challenged in a, uh, and there's a one-two um, towards the end of the first half he was left um, he was left for dead you know he was too slow it's like he was running in quicksand trying to catch the the, the winger who put in a dangerous cross which I, another one that I think they should have scored from so Kyle Walker for me he, he didn't do it uh, in this game and, and I think we saw the, the first water break in the first half well guys uh, City started the game very very well on the 8th minute David Silva swung a free kick into their penalty area Laporte headed it across the face of goal no one anticipated that though then Zinchenko let fly with a vicious effort the goalkeeper just about gathered that at the second attempt with Bernardo Silva coming in ready to pounce. Uh, their goalkeeper was quite impressive. Park Irugu, that's a Korean name, flying out in the 17th minute of his penalty area to, to deny Raheem Sterling um, and he, after he was released by a, a delicious pass from Kevin De Bruyne. And uh, two minutes later, we come to the goal, Colin, the goal on the 19th minute, which I believe started with a long pass from Claudio Bravissimo. Yes, it did. I mean, some are uncharitably calling it a long punt forward. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, we know it was a, um, a very accurately placed pass. Um, and uh, obviously that found Bernardo Silva. Uh, Bernardo did a really excellent pass to Kevin De Bruyne. And Kevin did this. And I watched it a few times, actually. Um, he wasn't didn't quite have enough room to shoot. And he did this little thing where he sort of moved the ball about a yard using the inside of his right ankle and just opened that little bit of space to put the ball into the net. And as you know, Kevin De Bruyne is pretty deadly from that sort of uh, range. And um, that was uh, goal number one. But it was a lovely little uh, movement of his ankle to, to, to shift the ball to get that you know few inches of space to give him the shot. And Ray, that was with his weaker foot, his first goal of preseason. Season. Remember, everyone is very excited about him now, aren't they? Because he was limited to just 11 Premier League starts during that injury-interrupted uh, final se season that we've just seen. So, uh, yeah, I think you use the phrase check inside, don't you, Ray? Uh, yeah, he kind of checked inside. Uh, and we've seen 
is it similar to what Kolarov used to do as well, where they, they hit it with the ankle of one foot? Do not dare, do not dare compare our Kevin with Kolarov. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not comparing him. The, the, the only comparison is they have a K in their name. That's it. That's the only comparison between the two. Um, but but Ke- look, I, I'm going to take you to task here, Michael, because you said he's weaker foot. I don't think he's got a weaker foot. I, I haven't seen it. You know, he absolutely thrashed that ball into the net. Uh, he did it again. He did one against Chelsea a couple of seasons back. Absolutely smashed it. Um, and he's got a rocket of a shot on on either foot. So um, you know he he's that he is that good. He's got two uh, tremendously uh, gifted feet. It's time to holiday to see Kevin De Bruyne um, show us what he's what he can do this season. It's going to be fabulous. Oh my gosh, guys! Well, I guess I've got to get on message with the political correctness. Let's call it his less dominant foot. How about that? Does that <laughs> does that sound good? And uh, also, guys, re- remember in the old days, Colin, we used to call that less dominant foot the foot he uses to stand on. <laughs> stand on, yeah, yeah. Well, we used to say that about um, Gareth Barry, didn't we? His right <laughs> foot was just a standing on. But it, it does, kind of Ray alluded to this, I think, but um, it does annoy me that uh, professional footballers at that level uh, have a weaker foot. You shouldn't have a weaker foot uh, at that level. You should be able to use both feet. I mean, I, I was no standard at all at playing football. I can kick the ball with both feet with reasonable, uh, without any great difference between them. And if I can do it, then I'm sure um, players like Gareth Barry and you know, Kolarov, uh, you know, two famous left-footed players, I'm sure they can do it as well. You can learn, to, I was going to say, you can you learn. You're going to do it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at Rafael Nadal. I mean, he's right-handed, isn't he? It was his uncle made him play left-handed because he'd be more dangerous as a left-hander, so he learned to play left-handed. You can do it if you want, uh, and if you're committed to it, you know, and the coaching is right at, the, at an early level. If you, if you obviously, I think we're looking at some players from years gone by who the coaching has left it a bit too late for them. Um, I think on the continent it's done slightly differently from my time in France it certainly was I always wondered if that was the reason why our I mean Northern Ireland's George Best cut such a sway through the, the, the you know the 60s and the 70s and that was because he was forced to use uh, weaker foot and strengthen that and make you know I don't know what the uh, what the word is the equivalent of ambidextrous for, for the feet but um, yeah absolutely I was, I was devastated to hear that Colin Man City have lost a great great talent Alan, I had no idea that you could you were you were two footed. But uh, anyway, Ray, three minutes after yeah. the goal, Keita Endo from Yokohama blasted past our Claudio Bravo after the third attempt, and uh, yeah, it was one one. What did you think of that one? Well, I, I, I thought um, uh, they came through too easily in the middle. Zinchenko was kind of uh, left in two minds. Well, you know, what do I do? Do I go to the guy who's got the ball in the centre, or do I uh, hang out with the with the man who's behind me on the right uh, or, or our left? Uh, sorry, and he, he made a choice, and the, the ball did get played, played out to right. Bravo made a couple of good shots. Uh, sorry, good saves from half decent shots. One with his foot, one with his hand, and he was unlucky that um, the second save went straight to one of the uh, to the goal scorer who slammed it in. Um, as I said, he was unlucky. He made two good saves, but we were we were too weak. Um, it was too easy for them to to, to get through us. And but it, it was just um, symptomatic of the game. We, you know, it was a very very open game in the first half. Yeah. Very very open. Game. Yeah, Keita Endo, very enthusiastic little guy, uh, probably about, I think it was eight minutes later, got a bit carried away and lunged in on Kevin De Bruyne and then grabbed his shirt and picked himself up a yellow card. <laughs> Shortly after that, of course, Bernardo Silva, first time shot, curled just wide. At that time, Leroy Sané was beginning to 
have a bit of an impact there. Nearly won us a penalty running into space. Round the goalkeeper is brought down on the edge of the box. And that's a yellow for the goalkeeper. And uh, yeah, it's a, probably a good moment, I think, Colin, to talk about Leroy Sané. Because uh, news has just come that... <laughs> very, very dubious credibility that Manchester City have found his replacement. And he's going off to Germany. Do you believe this, Colin? Or is that a load of garbage? Well, I think you've got to take it with a, a bit of a pinch of salt. Um, I, I did see some comment that it, um, people thought it might might be Bayern placing that story to put pressure on Leroy. No, they would never maybe do think, that, uh, Colin. They would never well, do of that, course surely. Not. No, 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 no. Um, so, uh, it, it's an odd one because, um, I, I don't know... Uh, he looked yesterday, and certainly one of the other friendly games, he didn't get too worked up about scoring. He looked a little bit half-hearted. Um, perhaps we're looking for too much, but he, he did sometimes appear like someone who didn't particularly want to be there. And um, But, uh, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to know. And, but we've got the whip hand, I think. We can stop him going, although obviously we risk missing out on a large fee if we do that. Let's talk about this uh, story, uh, Ray. You've seen it. Indeed, uh, you brought it to my attention. What do you think about this? Well, I've got, I've got to say, uh, first, I've got to mention Bayern, uh, because Bayern, uh, I, I always got to say this, uh, is it like a broken record, but their president uh, is a crook, and he's just, uh, it was in jail not uh, only a couple of years ago and uh, for a tax fraud, and he was brought back um, as president after he was released from jail as if nothing happened. Uh, so that's the kind of club we're dealing with. So I don't think anything... Uh, I can't put anything past them, whether they made this story up or not. Going on to the kid, uh, um, and people are going to have a lot of fun trying to say his name. He's a 22-year-old Mikel Oyazabal. Mm-hmm. Oyazabal, I think that will work. His release clause is a whopping 75 million euros. I mean, uh, it makes me think if we're going to sell Leroy, apparently, for about 90 to 100 million euros, and then pay 75 million for a kid we've not even heard of, <laughs> uh, we're selling Leroy far too cheaply, if that's if that's the, the thing. He's playing for a real Sociedad. Off the top of my head now, um, look, remembering his stats, I think he scored 14 goals last season got four or five assists coming out off the left so his, his, his numbers obviously are, are quite decent but look, you're playing a different uh, level of football different uh, country different league um, how would he fare honestly no I look it, it, it's a story from AS and as is normal with the press these days and the media once somebody puts a story out everybody eventually starts to copy it uh, AS have put this story out the MEN have copied it I'm sure others will copy it um, overnight that's pretty much all I know about this kid I've never seen I've never heard of him before Uh, obviously we can't watch and keep track on young players from other countries um, and other teams so if if it's true if he's identified and Cheeky's involved and Pep's involved then I've got no reason to doubt that they'll make the right choice yeah guys I mean I've often been tempted to to go into journalism myself because all you need to do basically (laughs) is uh, is basically when you hear all of this uh, controversy with Leroy is just take a look around the leagues and ask yourself who's a decent left side uh, youngster and you've got yourself a story there uh, you don't need too much to uh, to corroborate it and stick it out and then all your colleagues from other other newspapers will will copy you and before you know it you've got an absolute storm what a, <laughs> what a fabulous job what I, you know I, I've been in the uh, in the wrong job for too long now um Colin Savage it wasn't uh, too much longer that city went in front now we had Bernardo curling one over the bar shortly after the uh, the Leroy attack where he rounded the goalkeeper and then 
we got Raheem Sterling with what certain news outlets called a trademark finish. Tell us about that one. Uh, yeah, well, again, it was uh, started from a longish ball from Kevin De Bruyne, who I think was well inside the city half when he played the ball. And if I remember rightly, Raheem was pretty well on the halfway line uh, or just inside the city half when he played the ball. So there was no possibility of offside, which otherwise, uh, if he'd been a couple of yards forward, he might have been. But he took the ball on and, and slotted it home beautifully. Um, and certainly, his, uh, we can't complain about his finishing, which uh, occasionally has let him down. Uh, uh, there is a perhaps a criticism I could make of, of Raheem, certainly later in the game, where a few times he um, didn't take advantage of opportunities to pass the ball and run into blind alleys. But yeah, it was a beautifully taken goal. Well worked, quick. Ray, is Cullen just a little bit churlish to call that a longish ball by Kevin De Bruyne? <laughs> well... A longish Most... ball? Come on, wasn't that like a pinpoint KDB classic? No, I think it was. I think it was a good pass. Uh, look, we've come, become used to it from Kevin. Um, so I think on his um, <laughs> list of you know one to ten on his best passes, this counts as a seven for me. Uh, so I think it, for me it was just a standard KDB pass. Um, the Yokohama guys—they were all on the halfway line. They were playing that high up. Um, and Raheem, uh, what I enjoyed about it, what I liked about it, is he had a lot of time to think. He had a lot of time since uh, you know running onto the ball, taking it into the penalty area to think about what he was going to do. And I think a couple of years ago, he'd, he could have easily fluffed his lines, but he never once looked like missing, N- not for a second. And he slotted that home with a plum, and uh, you know it makes. It's another thing to be excited about because if Raheem's that calm when he's got time to think and he's slotting the ball away, he's got was it four go- uh, goals on this uh, preseason tour, which is not bad. Four goals in four games, obviously not played all the minutes, um, and it just looks you know it, it, it all goes well for next season. If you've got Kevin De Bruyne playing uh, a fantastic level and Raheem Sterling scoring goals left, right, and centre, and what we can achieve next season? My goodness, uh, Colin, we just heard Ray use the verb ogre and also the word aplomb. I think this guy's beginning to fancy himself as a bit of a writer for more for, for, for more your your job as the king of the kipax is not safe Colin anyway uh, shortly after that nicely worked move by Yokohama they were almost level this guy Marcos Jr. again with a clever flick and uh, Bravo uh, managed to hold on to it there were three minutes of time added on and City went into the second half 2-1 up there were no changes right at the start of the second half but Colin my goodness Yokohama they took that as an insult they started the second half like a whirling dervish Uh, there's a nice expression for you uh, Ray Um, what did you think Colin Uh, I thought Yokohama were excellent in the second half Um, we certainly weren't dominating the possession from what I saw and there were a few occasions when they cut us open and in fact um, with better finishing with someone like Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne up front they could have been three or four goals to the good quite easily Um, very very impressive there they knew how to how to move the ball they knew how to find the space I mean a team like City will always suffer from team from from another team that knows how to work them to, to create space because we don't park the bus, we don't pack the defence. You know, our fullbacks are well up the field. We've, we've probably got two centre backs, so if you can get three players, three or four players forward quickly, you'll always have a chance of getting something. And I think we were quite lucky. I say not to be 
uh, 3-1 or 3-2 or 4-2 down um, during that game. Yeah, that was a very, very strong start to the second half by Yokohama. Uh, very, very torrid uh, first 10 minutes, but uh, they, City began to get more into it after the 50-minute mark, uh, 52nd minute, I think. Mm. David Silva got on their head, uh, got got his head on the end of a of a Kyle Walker cross. My goodness, the I idea. I believe it. The, <laughs> yeah. that again. A Kyle Walker cross. <laughs> <laughs> a good Kyle Walker cross. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. And then, of course, Sterling had um, a goal disallowed for for offside. Uh, in fact, actually, that was the same the same incident. And then uh, Ray on the 60th minute, we had our first substitutions: Foden and Gundogan replacing yeah. the aforementioned Mr. Sane and Mr. Uh, David Silva. Yeah, I mean, I think it was telling that uh, um, the, the two players that uh, came on, Foden and Gundogan. When I look at that, the best players we've got, you know, and I'm thinking who who got them as a squad let's leave the uh, Argentinian and um, Brazilian players to the, aside for them Copa who are the next few players in line to come on and who because it was our best team it's the best team we could put out it's a team I would probably expect to start uh, the community shield game against Liverpool and the next best two players are Foden and Gundogan so uh, I think that was telling and it was also telling that Silva was captain uh, for that game and we've talked about the captaincy in, in the past and Silva handed the captaincy to Kevin uh, when they were both I think both games that they both were on the pitch at the same time Silva was the captain so I think that was telling to me um, but Foden I think he got stuck in straight away um, where he, he, made, he put in a nice crossing I think uh, I can't remember who it was to was it Sterling and it just uh, or Bernardo Silva it was just a bit too too strong um, but yeah it's, uh, within a minute or two of coming on yeah, at that, and at that point, guys, um, the statistics were interesting. Yokohama were 51 to 49% up in possession, 418 to 333 up in passes attempted, and they had covered 78 kilometers to City 76.6. They were hunting in packs, looking for an equalizer. The fans were jumping up and down in the stands. City were tiring. So I guess at that point, Ray, Pep called for a water break. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if a manager can actually call for that. That's the referee job. Anyway, on the 72nd minute, we had a water break and a new little raft of substitutions. We had mm. Nemecha Angelino and Danilo coming on for KDB, Zinchenko and Walker. And uh, six minutes later, Ray uh, Bernabe, Adrian Bernabe and Poveda came on and replaced Sterling and Bernardo. Did you notice much of a difference in the way that we played Colin after those uh, five substitutions? Yeah, well, it always disrupts the rhythm and flow of a game, doesn't it? When uh, there's there's almost unlimited substitutions and players come on and go off. Yeah, and, we we needed uh, we needed a disruption. Whatever. We needed a, a different type of play by that point. But 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 yeah, but Bernabe uh, looks a real talent because obviously he um, set up the third goal and it was a good run, very good run from Angelino um, that that started that process. So um, yeah, I mean we've seen it a million times before in different games. When you start bringing five, six players on in the second half, then uh, you know the whole rhythm of the game is completely uh, disrupted, and you don't get the same sort of uh, pattern and intensity that you got uh, when the first team were on for the first say hour or so. Initially, of course, pattern of play didn't change because on the 85th minute, um, 85th minute, uh, Kazaki Nakagawa he was in for what seemed like a certain equaliser, but our superhero uh, Claudio Bravo put out 
out a strong right hand and uh, saved a city were holding on um, and uh, that they did until pretty much the final minute when uh, we had a goal that a lot of people will say flattered us uh, this was the guy this is the guy that couldn't score on loan for Preston in the championship last season nonetheless um, he's turning out for Germany at the under 21 championships uh, this summer Lucas Nemecha didn't look like he knew too much about that one Ray tell us about that yeah, I mean, uh, Lucas Nemeche obviously wasn't on the pitch that long. I think earlier he'd had another chance from a pass from uh, Bernardo Silva. And I don't think he actually looked up to see what the, where the keeper was. And he just shot uh, blind uh, straight at the keeper. Um, but one and another one where he didn't really know what was going on. Um, but Bernabe once again, he um, I was on the uh, on the right hand side. He he took his um, uh, the full back. Um, he got he got the best. Um, I think Nemeche was in between two Yokohama defenders. The first one had a big swipe at the ball and missed it, and uh, <coughs> he was he couldn't have seen it coming. And I think it hit his shin or his knee, and it bun- it bundled in. And obviously, a good look, a goal's a goal. You got to take it, be happy about it. Um, and yeah, yeah, you're right, Mike. I think it flattered us, you know. Um, Yokohama were, I, I think they were worth at least a draw from that game. They put a lot in, but uh, Lucas Nemecha's N- goal, it guaranteed us that uh, wonderful trophy, the Euro Japan Cup. Uh, for me, I, I hold it in as much esteem as any of our uh, four trophies from last season. It's another one in the bag. First one of the season. Take that, Mr. Klopp. Okay, I'm going to read you some uh, quotations from Pep Guardiola after the game. Let's let's do a little section called Playing Games with Colin Sauvage. <laughs> Colin, um, when I uh, come to the gap in Pep's quote, perhaps you could guess what word is missing. Here we go. He starts off with this one. Many of the basics are good, but we need more games to take the best conditions. It was a test. What kind of test? Anyone? Uh, Anyone? Uh, Bueller, Bueller. Oh, um, difficult, difficult. No. Um, oh, uh, oh, it's a tough one, this. Um, a, a very interesting. No, no, higher, yes. higher. Uh, would it have been by any chance incredible? Incredible! Yes, very, very good. Oh. It was an incredible test for us. Where did I find that? <laughs> Incredibly demanding because of the conditions and the quality of the opponent. Now, uh, going on with you, Colin, he started to talk about Rodri and he said he was, he was, come on, uh, Bueller, Bueller. Knackered at the end. Um, um, he was fantastic. Um, no, yeah. Am I getting warm? You're getting warm. Incredible. He was incredible today. We knew it, but, oh. but today he said, I can assure you, we have an, an, an incredible holding midfielder for the next number of years. And of course he said, people say, ah, oh, Yokohama in Japan. I know exactly how good they are. They were in, 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 incredible. Now we need time and we need more <laughs> games to be in the best condition. Ray, everyone's talking about the fact that uh, Pep said that Phil Foden is the most incredible player that he's ever seen in his time, either as a player or as a coach. Is this another example of Pep's slightly grating hyperbole? Or, or, do, or do you think this is, this is true? Uh, do you think it's true? Come on, let's look at Pep. J- uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg would have something to say, wouldn't he? I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> I mean, look, um, you've got to look at the players. Look, Pep's been a player and a manager uh, for the best part of 35, 38 years, whatever it is. He's a bit younger than me. Um, but he's played with some great players and he's managed He's managed Messi, Iniesta, Ronaldinho, Javi, ja- David Villa. 
you can keep going on and on and on. He's seen players like, he's probably seen Maradona play, Busquets, anybody you want to care to mention in the last 35 years, top, top players, Hullet or whatever. And, he, and he's rating Phil Foden above all of them. <laughs> I don't agree with him. Uh, <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to be honest, I don't agree with him. But hey, look, if, if he's right, then we've got some sort of player in, on our hands. And, you know, Messi's got a release clause in the region of a billion euros. So what what, what will Phil Foden have, you know? Um, the Stockport Iniesta, guys. The Stockport Iniesta. We have him. But in- wasn't Fernand, didn't, didn't he say something about Fernandinho a while back? That he's, a, he's the best player he's ever oh, no, if, if he's talking, managed if he's, or something. Or was, was he not incredible enough? Well, if you're talking about uh, defensive midfielders and he said that he was the best in the world, I would agree with that, actually. But um, anyway, guys, that was it. Man City 3, Yokohama F. Marinos 1. A pretty successful tour, I think, if my maths are correct. 13 scored and uh, 4 conceded, not counting penalties. A little bit better, Colin, than Liverpool's season, isn't it? They they got stuffed twice and got a lucky draw. Um, they're, 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 are they quaking in their boots, Colin, at the uh, prospect of being taken to pieces by City at Wembley? <laughs> I'm sure they're not, but... Um, there is a school of thought that they massively overachieved last season um, whether that's being unkind or not I don't know we but, would never uh, be unkind we're completely objective <laughs> of course we are of course we are and of course we're, we're, you know there, there is a major obstacle for them this coming season and uh, it begins with V and ends in R there's <laughs> an A in the middle that one of their top um, scorers last season wasn't he <laughs> so, the biggest assist for them wasn't he by not yeah. being yeah, so uh, I mean, the lack of VAR must have been worth 10 or 12 points to them last season. And when you think they they caused up 25 points, which is pretty creditable, but probably with VAR, it should have been half that. So, uh, and of course, they've not not bought anyone, or certainly haven't, as as we're recording this podcast. Um, And and I'm of the opinion that, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to buy people. They've got a reasonably good squad. Uh, But the one area they've always been lacking is real creativity in midfield. Uh, Certainly since they sold uh, Philip Coutinho. So uh, there is an inter- interesting prospect of them uh, buying Coutinho back, uh, but uh, they'd have to use dip, dip into Coutinho money again to do that. Yeah, Klopp was actually <laughs> asked about that. And he said to buy Coutinho back, that would be a big, 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 big uh, purchase for us. But hey, guys, I mean, who needs, you know, who needs to buy anyone when you've got that lucky fella sitting on your bench called VAR to help you out? Now, guys, after the game, some interesting news, of course. Uh, Yangel Herrera, who was a much talked about player, in the city group out there at New York has gone. Douglas Louise, of course, I'm not sure if we talked about this, gone to Aston Villa. I hope there's a buyback clause in there, but perhaps the most interesting, Ray, was the retirement of Micah Big Smile Richards. What did you think? And tell us a little bit about your memories about Micah. City, best of a certain age, will remember Micah's uh, game. It was his first game. Uh, the game at Villa in the FA Cup, we were losing, I think, 1-0. Uh, I think Joy Barton corner in the last, uh, well, fifth minute of injury time or something like that. And uh, David James, Clamsey James came up. Uh, some said he was better in their box than ours. Uh, <laughs> because you're going you're gonna to go out anyway. So um, the, the ball came across and James missed it, um, went over him. 
and Micah Richards was there, and he hit it like a bullet. Bullet header. He absolutely, absolutely, as Mendy would say, bullet header, a straight in. And he uh, cartwheeled off, ran towards the crowd, corner flag, saw the crowd, and he just just jumped into the crowd. I mean, he was 17 years old. Um, to score a goal like that at a time like that in a match like that for his for his team uh, obviously was incredible for him. And uh, that's kind of what I remember from uh, He just seemed to enjoy life. He just seemed to enjoy football. He always had a big smile on his face. Uh, he was always cheeky um, and, and generally very, very positive. Uh, and it's a sad, it's sad that he's retired, what, at 31 years old because of injury, problems with his knees. Um, he had to leave City. I think City offered him a contract of £100,000 a week to stay, uh, even though he was unlikely to play because I think he was just great to have around um, the, uh, the dressing room. But in 10 years, it's City are from 2005 to 2015. He only played 179 games. Um, and it's why uh, Mancini uh, labelled him Cristalli Richards because of his injuries. Um, and it was a shame to see him go, but I mean, uh, he uh, to pick up something Ray said, uh, I was lucky enough to meet him um, a few seasons ago. It must have been 2010, 2011. Um, we were playing Arsenal just after New Year. Uh, it was a midweek game. So City were down in London and uh, a select handful got invited to the team hotel the night before the game. And uh, we met some of the players, kind of briefly signed autographs. Uh, we had a Q&A with Bernard Halford. But before the Q&A... Uh, um, they wheeled uh, Michael Richards and Dedrick Bayarta into the room where we were and Roberto Mancini uh, and Michael was just lovely it, it, as Ray said had a brilliant attitude uh, he loved a laugh he just scored a brilliant goal at Stoke where he rampaged up from the fullback position um, he must have made about 70 yards and scored a brilliant goal and we were joking laughing about that I said you'd be wanting to play on the wing next and, and he was just yeah, a really lovely personality and uh, yeah, he'd be a great uh, bit like Sean Wright Phillips a great one to go out on the circuit and meet City fans uh, Colin apparently young Micah I remember a lot of people calling him Mika for a while uh, until they, uh, they they corrected up he did an interesting line in post-match interviews Colin is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well that was the Villa the Villa goal of course I was at that game and uh, yeah so I didn't see the interview but I heard about it and uh, good luck to him you know you're 17 years old you scored an absolutely crucial goal in an FA Cup game and we should have won that game in the first half we a number of chances we missed but of course Mike scored that um with virtually the last kick of the match, I think the extra time had uh, injury time had run out, and uh, I, I just remember where he jumped into the crowd. I was about, we were stood about there. Some bloke grabbed me, and we were hugging each other, and we ended up literally rolling down the, the aisle on the floor. <laughs> and I'm sure I remember seeing Mike jump over me, jump over us while we were lying on the floor hugging each other. Uh, completely random stranger, but yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it certainly got the BBC talking. Yeah, dropping f bombs like a modern day rap star after the game young Micah uh, yeah he was a wonderful player always happy always smiling Ray should he not be employed instead of as an ambassador for Man City as the life coach to Leroy Sané Ray <laughs> well it looks like Leroy could certainly do with some cheering up and to be honest if Micah Richards is around you 
you can't help but just uh, joining in. You know, he's a catalyst for fun. Um, you know, he, he, he will make your life better, your well-being and your, uh, yeah, he's just going to make you, you feel good. And he's, when he's on song, he's, he'd be a cracking player, to, a person to be around. Yes, absolutely. Now, guys, just uh, casting our collective eyes over the news media over the last uh, day or two, some very interesting things were going on. One which was headlined by Sid Lowe as Murder on Zidane's Floor, or Murder on Zidane's Floor. <laughs> get it? Get it? Anyway, Atletico de Madrid beat Real Madrid 7-3. Costa scored four goals, got himself sent off. That's a guy I want in my team, Colin. Whenever he kicks out at one of you, you've got this player who will just come in and clean out the opposition. Felix, uh, Jao Felix scored one, made two. Even even um, our, our mate Christian Bale, oh, sorry, Gareth Bale got 30 minutes. <laughs> and of course, Real Madrid, they lost 3-1 to Bayern Munich as well, and then drew 2-2 with Arsenal. They won on penalties. Their preseason has been as bad as Liverpool's, hasn't it, mate? Well, um, yeah, if you take any notice of these things, because, um, you know, there is talk, you know, will Zidane last, yeah, who gets sacked first, Zidane or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? But the, the biggest surprise was seeing Atletico de Madrid score seven goals, because there they, you know, one nil to the Athletic, score a goal, shut up shop, and they conceded three as well. So I'm not sure what the hell was going on in that game. I didn't see it, obviously, but um, so I'm not sure which is the biggest surprise, them scoring seven or conceding three. But yeah, Zidane, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Real Madrid going through a period of change. We're at a bit of a crossroads, aren't they? Ronaldo's going and, uh, and maybe one or two others. And uh, it'll be a real test of his managerial abilities uh, this season, I think, to... to but not to keep them up there, because obviously the La Liga is a, a league dominated by uh, two with Atletico Madrid snapping at people's heels. But it'd be interesting to see what he does with Madrid, because obviously they didn't do particularly well last season. Yeah, maybe you, by their standards. Maybe Zidane just fluked those three consecutive um, <laughs> Champions League uh, titles. Uh, well, I'll say the thing about Atletico scored as, uh, as many goals in, in one game as uh, Stuart Pearce uh, <laughs> did in six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. just made me think of Stuart Pierce, oh, you know. Oh my gosh, you've just given me bad memories, Ray. That's going to haunt me for the rest <laughs> of the day. Ray, lighten up the atmosphere now. Um, Arsenal to get Nicolas Pepe for £72 million. Do you believe that one? 90% of uh, transfer rumours are a load of rubbish. And they went through some of the media outlets or publications that give the best, uh, had the best hit rate. The BBC was, uh, did pretty well. But the, I think the best journalist out there for hit rate was David Ornstein. And anything to do with Arsenal, he's basically spot on. Uh, so if he's saying Nick- Nicholas Pepe is coming, then I'm, I'm tended to believe him. Now, the funny thing for me is it's a lot of money. And where have Arsenal suddenly got this money from? And what, why is uh, Stan Kroenke, why is he willing to spend, spend the money? Because does he want to, them to get, does he now feel some sort of investment will get them back in the Champions League and bring them another 30, 40 million pounds of, uh, or so of income? And he feels it's worth it because in the past, he's just not been doing it. Whilst he's been in uh, the Champions League, it's an unusual thing for them to, I, I think, for them to do, given their recent track record. 
spending, it's going to be about 72 million pounds, a huge amount of money. But the thing is, they can have a, look like it's going to be top heavy. They can have a great attack with, uh, potentially with Pepe, with Aubameyang, with Ozil, if he's uh, on song, um, with his bodyguard, Kalasinac, um, and uh, with uh, Lacazette. But their problem is in the defence, and it's always been in, the, in, the, in their defence. And unless they can get, you know, a player to, to plug the, the dike, so to speak, um, they're just going to leak more and more goals. Been, you know, that's what happened last season. That cost them their uh, Champions League place uh, last season. Uh, just letting in too many goals. That's their problem. They, they should have spent the £70 million on getting defenders. I mean, for me, they should have got... <laughs> it could do worse than getting Mangala. My goodness, it sounds like uh, Ray has morphed into Stevie Nickel from ESPN FC. <laughs> Screw these uh, luxury signings. Get the defenders in. Get the defenders in. Okay, well, if that is a little bit unlikely, is it any less likely or unlikely than Paolo Dybala calling to Tottenham to join Indombele and take the title away from us? What do you think? Well, Dybala's a funny one anyway. Uh, but I'm not quite sure. He's like Neymar Lyon. I think a, a player that may be not quite achieving his potential um, so for Spurs do Spurs need someone like Dybala they've got Eriks well they might have Eriksson um, they've got Son, they've got Kane, they've got Lucas Moura, uh, Lorente maybe. Um... He's been released, Colin. Been oh, of course, released. yeah, he's been released. Yeah, yeah. But, well, they're talking you know, about getting him again. <laughs> they're talking but, about signing him again. But um, obviously, they've, they've just moved to the new stadium uh, and they will have made a lot of money from the Champions League. So maybe Daniel Levy feels he has to kind of pander to the fans a little bit and be seen to be spending money. But I, I know, I, I'm not sure about Dybala to Spurs. It's a lot of money. They're going to start paying, have to pay back their mortgage. They have to pay back their loan and interest on their stadium, which is going to run, in, I, I, I read somewhere, in, into the tens of millions of pounds every year. So that might have an impact. But hey, they've spent a lot of money on, on Don Bailey. How much money have they got? Is he going to do a clop and spend 200 million in the space of uh, 18 months? Uh, you know, that after spending nothing last season, it's this next every season is going to be interesting, and this next season is going to be interesting again. Ray, has um, Mr. Klopp been in the papers talking about money and, and um, <laughs> buying things? I think you mentioned to me something about that. Yeah, you know, Mr. Klopp. Uh, uh, he can't stop being in the papers. You know, um, when we when he first came to Liverpool, I watched his press conference, yeah, and because he was entertaining. And to be honest, I think there's only two press conferences I can remember uh, watching, and that was Pep's and Klopp's. Um, and and Klopp because he was he looked like a nice guy, but the longer he's been at Liverpool, the more of a you know he's he's turned into a cult. Uh, and I said that quite carefully. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not Jeremy Hunt. Boom. Um, <laughs> so he um, you know he he's morphed and changed. He's ideal for that club. Um, so yeah, he's got a big mouth. He's got uh, I mean, he needs a big mouth to stick those teeth in, hasn't he? Those new gnashes he's got last year. So I think I've, someone told me. Someone told me. But anyway, so he's been talking about City and money and he says I don't want to talk about other clubs and then he proceeds to talk about other clubs uh, and, and to say we need to, you know he says I can't say about what, um, anything about what other teams are doing I, I don't know how they do it we have to pay the bills sorry everybody has to pay bills we have to pay bills we invested money in this team now it looks like uh, we are not we are not in this fantasy land where you just get whatever you want you cannot do it constantly it looks like there are four clubs uh, in the world that can do it constantly Madrid Barcelona City and PSG whatever they need to they do you can 
cannot compare that. This is a situation. Uh, it is not a criticism. I know how people take it, that I'm jealous or whatever. I am not jealous. Well, it is jealous because that's basically um, what he said. And he's forgotten that in the last 18 months, they've spent the best part of £250 million, Virgil van Dijk, Alex, Fabinho, Keita, uh, Shakiri, and others. Um, and it is quite sad that he's, he's, is he starting with the mind games or is he having his Rafa moment at the start of the season? Is he getting his excuses in early? Is the ball going to roll well for him? Is the grass going to be too long? Is the wind going to be blowing too hard or too soft? Uh, or whatever it, uh, the other team like he said about United uh, they had him play sent off um, so it made it more difficult for us well <laughs> you know the guy's just full of excuses uh, gets them in early and I think he's lucky as well that um, that Barcelona collapsed which they did do at, at Anfield you know helped them to get it, um, to the Champions League final if Barcelona had, had any metal about them um, Liverpool could have won nothing last season and he'd have been sat there you know without counting six fingers on one hand um, <laughs> um, with nothing in his hand so we're not going to talk about other teams that's when that sentence should have finished instead of going on about other teams it's interesting actually just if I can come in on that yeah. Yeah. I was looking at Liverpool's accounts for the, the year to 2018 so obviously the end of May is their um, accounting date so they won't release their 2019 accounts but looking at the, the cash flow statement, which basically looks at the pure cash coming in and out, and they generated uh, just over 100 million from their operating activities in 2017-18. They generated a further 105 million from the sales of player registrations. So that's just over 200 million in cash they brought in. They spent 154 million on players. Um, they spent some more money on fixed assets. So it was 170 million going out, and then another 30 million on changes in borrowings uh, in terms of debt. So it's 200 million in and 200 million out, basically. So basically, they spent every penny they've got. Now, when you go down to almost the bottom of the accounts, there's a note called subsequent events. Since the end of the financial period, the club has contracted for the purchase and sale of various players. The net amount resulting from this activity is £181.2 million. This activity will be accounted for in the year ending 31st of May 2019. So they've spent the best part of £200 million in 2018. They've spent nearly the same again, and they're only generating £100 million. So I'm pretty confident they're spent out in terms of the players they've got. So Klopp, I suspect, is going to have to make the best of what he's got. And while he's got a very good team, they, they won't be spending any more 60 70 millions even uh, and that's and to, don't forget 2018 they got to a Champions League semi-final so they got a fair bit in from UEFA that year which they'll get in again 2019 of course but they can't guarantee that every year so I, I suspect their owners have maybe said to Klopp look you know we've we've spent all this money it's not a bottomless pit uh, we've not we're generating probably about 150 million a season in free cash uh, but we've not spent that much of it so you know it was a stupid comment from clock but of course he has to pander to the masses doesn't he the Liverpool fans are complaining that they're not spending money and he's had to come out and say something and uh, without going on too much about accounting they've got to account for the players they bought so their amortisation is playing, spending 250 million and let's give them five year contracts that's hitting your P&L at 50 million pounds every year and you've got to pay their salaries and I, I'm, I'd be surprised if uh, Virgil van Dijk isn't on 200 grand a week something like that and some of those are on decent money so their salaries are going to come in at another 25 million a year let's say for argument's sake uh, that's a heck of a lot of money you have to account yeah. for a year yeah. and, and 
on Twitter, I started to say something to a Liverpool fan about finances, and he said I, hadn't, I didn't know what I was talking about, which was my cue just to give up, lock him and move on, because they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea about finances, and they talk as if, because they've read someone like, someone like that, was it that Pasha guy or somebody else who has no idea about finances, and who, but who's a big Liverpool fan, a blue tick, got lots of followers, can spout any old garbage. So people have got no idea, and Liverpool, as Colin has suggested, they're probably pretty much spent out, because they've gone against uh, their uh, or what Klopp had said and, and what um, FSG have done. They've not been spending big. They've never spent really really big um, they've always been re- selling players they're a selling club uh, and um, using that money using the Champions League money um, in, in order to buy players but they spent massively 250 million in 18 months and at some point you've got to pay for all this spending <laughs> yep. you know the credit card's probably bouncing up and down uh, the Barclay card or whatever these in uh, up and down the high street and again if you look at the 2018 accounts they made 100 million profit which is the biggest yeah. ever made or, or, or till Spurs released theirs I think but all of that, all of that was profit on disposal player registrations. Yeah. That was in 2018. Now, what they're saying in 2019 is that they're only show that they're only likely to show an 18 million profit. So that's basically 80 million they've dropped yeah. from 2018 to 19. Add on the amortisation, add on the wages, and they could be looking at a significant loss. Funny. Okay, eggheads, I'm going to have to stop you there. <laughs> oh my goodness, guys, this uh-huh. I'm sure. Sure, your bolt from the blue fans would love another hour of talking about accountants. Well, that's what I'm saying. This, this is this this is what you get when you hire two former accountants on your podcast. But uh, Ray, from what you're saying, are you telling me? Are you suggesting to me that if I send our newly edited podcast to the Anfield Rap and say, "Can I get a retweet?" that I'm not going to get a retweet? <laughs> so you're you're asking for a retweet? I nearly said a, a naughty word there, Michael. Uh, change the E for an A. That's what you get from the Anfield <laughs> rap. That's all. That's all. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was a silent C in the Anfield rap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, guys! I, that, well, I, I don't think I can bear okay, it. We, if I, if we I don't, better leave. If I don't get a retweet, but now from... you mention it. <laughs> now you mention the Anfield rap. Um, there's a really good friend of mine has been has been pushing the Anfield rap. The Anfield rap, from from, from my experience, they, they're the ones who came up with uh, the grass was too long at the Etihad, uh, and they were all serious about it they tend to swear a little bit when I think when City won the the league and they didn't they were quite upset about it I, I don't rate them very highly I'm sure the, the feeling is mutual but now that you mentioned the Anfield rap there's a good friend of mine James Corbett very good friend of mine <laughs> you know? we, I'm sure we, we must have gone to school together now he um, I'm not going to say too much about James if you want to look up James uh, you can uh, search him at Company's house he, he would love that or go and have a look at him on LinkedIn I'm sure he'd love that is, there, is that the guy uh, that did Sooty and Sweep? The, that that <laughs> Corbett, you know, with his hand up, those puppets. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think James has had his hand up something, but uh, I'm not sure it's a puppet. No, no. I, I think is. I don't think it was his hand. It, it rhymes with Mong. He's um, <laughs> had that. There is actually. A, I'm sure there's a picture. You, you might have seen the, the the picture of Hitler. There's a picture of Hitler with his backside exposed and uh, Trump 
with his tongue in on an unpleasant place. And just behind him, you've got Boris Johnson saying, move aside, it's my turn now. Well, I think one of James Corbett is in that line somewhere with some of the, you know, things that that's happened over the last few, few days. Uh, he's come to the, def- the defense of some other journalists who have been saying some quite ridiculous things. He's a tap and run merchant, Mr. Corbett, because he's tapped and run once he's got, you know, a few people making inquiries about him. Anybody bigging up the Anfield rap and saying, we've just got their copy in our offices <laughs> on him, you just cannot take them seriously at all. Well, guys, we're, we're seriously going to have to draw it to an end here because yeah. I don't know if you can hear it, but the bottles of Copperberg are rattling on my <laughs> windows here in Seoul, South Korea, <laughs> and uh, they're going to be, you know, raining down on the cars of Man City Ray and also yeah, and Col- Colin you. Savage. They're going to be bouncing off the top of his car. So we better get out of here before they kill us, guys. All right. So the next thing that we're going to talk about on the next pod is the Community Shield Sunday the 4th of August against the aforementioned team in red. And then a week later on the Saturday of the 10th, then that is the away game to West Ham. Guys, it's been fun. It's been interesting, but we better draw it to a close here and say cheerio for now. Cheerio to Ray. Ray, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Mike. I've uh, not had so much fun for a long time. And... Don't tell the wife. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, and it's also goodbye to Mr. Sauvage, Colin Savage, Prestwich Blue. Thank you so much, Colin. It's a pleasure. I mean, next time we do this, I hope to be able to report on the um, City's 125th anniversary launch party, which I've kindly been invited to uh... on Wednesday. I so I, everyone who everyone who is anyone will be there, and uh, <laughs> me as well. Well, I'm, 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 my 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 invites in the post. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I haven't checked my incoming mail, guys, but I'm sure it's going to be in there somewhere. Okay, thank you very much, guys. We'll leave it there, and uh, we'll be back with you after the community shield. I've got a funny feeling that there may be a bolt from the blue special come up somewhere between now and then, and who knows? We might have these uh, egghead accountants in there as well. But uh, we'll we'll just stop there, and we'll finish in the normal way of course by saying have one on us have a copperberg on us and up the blues